Hello and welcome to Coast to Coast FC, the brand new Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. I'm Mike Rice. And on this podcast, myself and Mike are going to dive into each of the weekend's games from every week in the CPL, as well as any Canadian Championship matches that might take place, and give you the breakdown of every match. We'll go into some of the facts and stats about each game, and at the end, we'll pick our highlight of the week for that week's match day. Make sure to follow us on our new Twitter, at Coast to Coast FC, and on Spotify so you know exactly when we upload. But without further ado, let's go straight into our first feature match of match day three, which was Pacific versus Forge FC. Now, Mike, this was the biggest match of the week um, ever. A lot of people were looking forward to it. The two teams that were the only two teams that have won the North Star Shield so far, though Forge does have three of the four. Um, What were your initial thoughts on this game going into this game? What did you think was going to happen from these two juggernauts of the league? Um, well, I thought it was really interesting how um, how Forge managed to sort of adapt to this game, um, knowing how much Pacific FC loved to dominate possession at home and try to break teams down. They defended well throughout. They got their goal early on, um, and they, they sat there in this four four two pretty much and defended resiliently throughout and really made it very difficult for Pacific FC to break them down and get some really good opportunities in the final third. Yeah, I thought that that was one of the best defensive performances from Forge, especially from uh, Mandricard James. He has slotted in uh, beautifully for them. And like you knew uh, as soon as he was coming in, uh, a player of his status with his experience, the Canadian men's uh, national team international, that he was going to be uh, solid. But yeah, him alongside Ashinodi Johnson, those two are just solid as you can be. And especially in the second half Pacific was throwing everything forward and they dealt everything very well organized, very well disciplined. Uh, I thought they, that the defense was incredible. And, you know, one, one member of that defense that was really good offensively uh, was Ashton Morgan, the way that he kept pushing up that left wing and attacking kind of overloading that left side uh, seemed to cause a lot of trouble for Pacific early on. And that's where uh, they got their first goal. Yeah, there's um, some good work down the wings there. And it was, like you say, that first goal was really unfortunate for uh, poor young goalkeeper Emil Gazdov. Um, another mistake from the young man. You're going to get that with young goalkeepers. Um, he's only 19, obviously, a couple of mistakes now so far. And unfortunately, um, unfortunately for him and Pacific, it's uh, cost them the game uh, this time. Um, managed to re- recover draws last time. But yeah, this was... Um, very disappointing for them. Um, it's like they're really going to have to um, going to have to work on defensively. I think. Yeah, I mean, because you when you have a threat in the box like Wubens Passius, you have to make sure that you're on top of your game because he will snatch at whatever opportunity, and he just has that knack for putting into the back of the net. This, uh, admittedly, wasn't his most glorious of finish. He headed it pretty much straight down uh, into the keeper, but the keeper had his form all wrong. You know, he didn't put his knee down to try to stop the ball from going in between his hands. And just it just trickled in, which is, like you said, unfortunate for the young goalkeeper. But that you live and you learn. 
and you hopefully improve every match. And, you know, clearly um, James Merriman has trust in the young German goalkeeper. So only with that trust, your confidence will start to grow and grow. But what did you think about now Forge finally have their having their captain back in their lineup? Uh, Kyle Becker lined up for the first time this year after a suspension and a bit of an injury layoff. What do you think of his influence in the game? I was, it's vital against Pacific, especially to get him back at this specific point. As Cedric Toussaint and Sean Young have been fantastic in the middle. Um, they've, do, they've done brilliantly at breaking down play and getting the ball forward for Pacific and really nullifying attacks going forward. When you get player like um, Kyle Becker back, there's someone else there who's actually going to compete far better and is going to put them under a lot of pressure. And I think that's helped um, make sure that they can control the game. They can keep the ball well, but they're, they're, they're forge in their slightly different way of being a little bit more reserved and a little bit more defensive in this game and counter-attacking. They've had that opportunity to then still continue to be a threat. And it's something that he can he can bring that isn't just a sort of one one style of play. He can He can adapt to the different ways they're going to play and he can be dangerous in those different ways as well. Yeah, definitely. And somebody, you know, I have been able to have the privilege of watching Forge the last four years, having worked for them a little bit and seeing Kyle Becker in the flesh, the way that he just connects the the, the uh, defense from the attack. And he's so hardworking. He runs all over the pitch and he has incredible vision, the way he pings from one side to the other, switching the play. Mm-hmm. You can definitely see the difference of having Kyle Becker in that midfield. But moving on a little bit now to Pacific, Pacific looked good, or at least better in the second half. But it felt yeah. like for all the possession and the pressure that they were putting on, they looked rather toothless in front of goal. And actually, we have here a sound clip from James Merriman in the post-match press conference talking about some of the issues that his team were facing in front of that and what they have to do better for the next match. Here he is. I think we we didn't start on the front foot. We started a bit on the back foot. We conceded not a, a great goal. I haven't seen it back, but uh, kind of reflected where we're at and how we were playing, how we started. And then it changed. I think we finished the half okay, still giving them a little bit too much respect. Second half, we showed more who we are, how we want to play. We were on the front foot. We were, we were quite dominant on the ball. But again... You know, we need more urgency, more, more quicker decisions, more decisiveness in front of goal and more detail. Our final pass or recognize the opportunity and, and eventually you need to reward yourself and, and score goals. Otherwise, you think you can't, can't win matches. So it's frustrating. It's two matches in a row, um, but it's still really early. So we'll learn. We, we have things that we know we, that are clear that we can work on and improve. And if we do get that right, we can be we can be very very dangerous. So, um, full confidence that it will come. But frustrating to to draw points today. So that was James Merriman talking about his team's struggles a bit in front of that shot, talking that they need to have better decision making. They need to be a bit quicker. I felt like they were a bit hesitant, and I think that was really encompassed by Easton Ongaro. He came in with much fanfare, especially after the season that he had uh, two years ago. 
what did you think about his performance this game, Mike? And what have you sort of made of his slow start? Well, I think he's he's obviously got the talent in front of goal. We've seen it at FC Edmonton, but he's playing in a completely new way now. And he's playing against defenders who are treating him completely differently. And Edmonton, other teams will go and try and dominate them. Whereas now he's on the side that are trying to be the dominators of the game, the protagonists in the match. And, and now defenders are sitting deep and they're getting getting behind him and they're making sure that he's his route to goal is 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 blocked and he doesn't he's having to adapt to this and that's it's taking time um it, we, we saw and we think with the players they've got around them um many of aparicio Salouf, josh heard there's, there's, there's going to be opportunities created like you you'd imagine but they're just not being able to get them into the box and ongaro isn't the most mobile um and it does seem like they're sometimes looking at him thinking well he's a huge target that's using him as a target at times but he doesn't he's not winning those aerial duels very well i haven't got the stats in front of me but he just from the eye test it just seems so often that the ball goes up he's not getting off the ground at times and mandrakar james had a great had a relatively comfortable game against him and <laughs> like we see here, here James Merriman saying there as well they're trying to be too intricate like, at times then they're everything has a way and you can see that they're trying to perform something they are performing on the training ground but if it doesn't quite go right for them they're missing out here and we did see a big change I thought when Manny Aparicio came in uh obviously lost him to injury um and he's working his way back to full fitness but without him they haven't got that player that can break a line that can do these really impressive things from the midfield passing. Sean Young, Toussaint, Yates, all do very good roles in the midfield. But when you get into that final third, they haven't got the creativity that Aparicio has, which they desperately need um, in this style of play. Yeah, you could really tell, the, the especially with how Aparicio played in that first match against Vancouver, he was the difference maker. You could mm. see that Pacific were just missing that that cutting edge and... Yeah, I mean, it, you look at some of the attacking players that that they have brought in. I mean, Eamon Salouf looks incredible yeah. as a proper 1v1 winger. He's able to beat his men and go down that wing. I just feel like, you know, he's still learning a bit how, how to maybe have more of that end product, having a better final ball or cutting inside and being available for, for a tap-in or stuff like that. It's still working his way in, but I think just pure... On pure talent, he looks like a very special player. And once he gets going, I think he can help out the attack a bit more by unlocking that defense with his technical ability. But one player that we haven't really seen much of that was probably the signing of the season uh, for Pacific this season was Kakuta Mane, the Mm -hmm. former Vancouver Whitecaps player. It's looking like he had a bit of fitness issues at the beginning, and that's why they're slowly bringing him in. But uh, yeah, what do you think? Do you think he would be a player that could revolutionize uh, Pacific's attack, especially since it's been a little bit tame at this beginning of the season? Um, I do. I think he's he's obviously got some qualities that they brought in there for a specific reason. The the issue they've got, which I think he'll find he's got a lot of pace and he wants to get in and he wants to beat players, but teams are sitting so far deep and Pacific are having a real difficult time at the moment of trying to get the defense out to come and pressure them the defense is sitting there and they're being comfortable and they're saying right we'll get players behind the ball you can't get behind us you can't use pace you can't run around the back balls over the top aren't available 
So how do they get the best out of um, Kakuta Mane when when the, when the, those those lanes are blocked? Um, and that's got to be something with the likes of um, Aparicio getting someone higher up the pitch in the midfield so that there is a danger on the edge of the box as well, not just in the box and wide. They need they need a little bit more around the different areas and that sort of edge of the box sort of zone is just not threatening right now. And they need to make that a lot more of a difficult task for the opposing teams to then create the space. I mean, Josh Hurd's got pace to get in round the back as well. He he runs hard, he works hard, but he can't, there's, the, there's such tight spaces in behind the fullback that they just don't have that opportunity. So it's going to take some, take some, I guess from what uh, Forge said, bend but don't break. Sometimes you just have to go a little bit off what you de- desperately want to do uh, or what you usually do to um to get better rewards yeah definitely and uh you know that game ended up as i mean maybe not as exciting as much (laughs) many people thought but sort of uh bobby in the post-match press conference uh mentioned that um in the early stages it's going to be very tight teams don't want to give anything away they're still sort of finding the flow so they're going to be a bit more reserved in how they play not as open but speaking about bobby um, some big news came out um, uh, yesterday on um, Monday that he just signed a new four-year extension as the Forge head coach in a role that would also include the title of sporting director. So he's increasing his influence in the club. Does that surprise you, Mike, especially with the links that he had before, uh, maybe an MLS job? Or do you think that this is the right move for Bobby uh, well, I think it's definitely the right move for Forge and a bad move for the rest of CPL. Um, the way everything's going at the moment with this club, and obviously he's, uh, the departure of his uh, of Costa um, going into sort of league offices has opened up these opportunity um, to sort of adapt what Forge are doing. But you can't you can't argue with this track record. And if the I think Forge have probably looked at it and thought, well. He's probably going to be on the radar of other sides. We need to make sure that we're going to keep hold of him. And um, I guess this offer is something that he couldn't uh, couldn't refuse. Yeah, no. And he's he is sort of that the face of the club, really. Uh, one of the faces of the CPL. So yeah. I'm sure that the CPL, you know, the higher ups of the CPL are going to be happy to see him stay for longer because he's sort of embodying what the league is about, especially his history with Sigma FC. He kind of is that coach that embodies, you know, grassroots football, Canadian football, the players that he's brought up. I mean, we've even seen that after the game that he likened Wubens Passius to Kyle Laren because he's actually had the privilege of managing both. So he's been around the block enough to cultivate these players that eventually can go up and be you know men's national team players and go and play in Europe in the top five leagues so I think it's good news overall for um, the league and obviously for Forge to have that kind of coach in and uh, yeah I think some teams maybe you know I thought that you know for some maybe an MLS job maybe he was linked a little bit with the Montreal job I think that maybe Bobby is, is sticking with Forge because he knows that it's his home. He knows that he has the players that he wants. He can sort of change the club as he wishes if he feels like it needs to adapt to a new philosophy and stuff like that. So I think the inclusion of the sporting director is a very smart move. 
under trust that basically says we trust you and we trust what you are doing with the club and we're willing to give you more control over it so you can continue what you've done so i think overall it was um, a very smart move from forge um, especially with some mls teams uh, having a little bit of pressure on their coaches um but nonetheless uh now we can move on to the second game where we're going to talk about Halifax Wanderers, their first home game against the new boys, Vancouver FC. Now we had Halifax Wanderers. They had a sold out stadium, which looked wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very close packed stadium and they, the Wanderers were loud and proud. And uh, what did you think about the the match? Like, and um, how do you feel that the Wanderers did in their first home match against Vancouver FC? I I mean, it was incredible atmosphere. It must have been incredible for Patrice Geyser to finally get that um, get that in game in front of the Lyon fans. And they started off fantastically as they, uh, in a really great attacking way, like they do, um, like he sets his team out to play. And they looked very threatening um, throughout most of the first half. I mean, they dominated the game for the first 30 minutes or so. Um, but they, they just ran out a little bit, ran out a little bit of steam. Uh, I think Vancouver managed to sort of take the sting out of the game at times and they found it hard to get back in. But the fans kept going with them, which was great to see. They kept encouraging them on. I mean, chances kept coming throughout the game. Um, but it's just, yeah, just not quite enough to push them over, um, to push them over the edge. And they're just they're just lacking that little bit of a uh, little bit of extra um, ability to sort of put games to bed and to sort of uh, snuff teams out a little. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is what back to back to back games where Halifax gets an early lead. They start really, really well. And then they concede in the yeah. second part of that first half. It seems like the way that Patrick Geiser wants his team to play is very high intensity. It's, it's a, lo- a high press. It's very fluid. It demands a lot from the players. And the, for the first 30 or so minutes, it, it, they do it really well. And you, you know, especially with some of the players that have come in, you, you see what he's trying to do, but then it feels like the levels of intensity drop, especially as soon as they score the goal, it almost instinctively drops a little bit and then it drops a little bit more as time goes on and it allows teams to grow back into the game. And that's something that I think he needs to address uh, quite soon because, you know, especially in a league like this, you need to get those points early on. If not, you're going to regret it at the very end. So Mm -hmm. I think that Halifax need to shape up a bit and try to get that first win because they definitely have the talent. And I think the play style can definitely work towards that. The question is, is it sustainable for 90 minutes because of how demanding that it really is? But uh, on the opposite end, Vancouver FC had a very, very sloppy opening 30 minutes. What did you think about that uh, less than impressive start from Vancouver? Yeah, uh, it wasn't. it wasn't what we've been expecting from the last few games where they've been quite defensively organized. They've been relatively difficult to break down. Um, and the questions were, how are they going to get forward? But the, 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 this one, they started off and gaps were being found defensively from set pieces. 
they were all over the place and they were very lucky to have like sort of the height of Bacare uh, right back um, who's been able to at least get on the as Halifax look to switch play into wide areas and they're getting those long balls in at least he's getting his head on things and getting them away but they they looked hesitant I mean I, before I mentioned uh, before we recorded I mentioned to you Martinez at the back there center, center half stopping as the ball went through putting his hand up uh, asking for offside no flag one nil down a little while later on I can hear Callum Irving through the TV screaming get rid get rid four times and he's dwelling on the ball not sure turnover Halifax get a chance at goal again uh, so there was just seemed to be a little bit they seem to be a little more <sighs> dawdling I guess is the word in the back there they just they just weren't switched on um to, to start the game and it's I, I can only imagine the uh, the travel that goes in from Vancouver to Nova Scotia that they're getting on with that. But I mean, there's this is a pro league. There's no excuse to take half an hour to get your bearings and get ready to go. I think I think the manager will be very upset with how that started, um, how that game started. Yeah, yeah, and he did mention afterwards in the uh, in the press conference that um, the travel definitely did put um, some. Uh, some negative influence into the way that his team started. But like you said, that's no excuse at this level. You know, this is, it is what it is. This is the league that it is. You have to prepare for it. You have to have your players prepared for it. And uh, you can't go 30 minutes, especially at a place like Wanderers ground where the whole ground is against you. Uh, mm-hmm. You can't let yourself just fall asleep because you will get punished as they did. Um but what was interesting was that in the uh, after opening 30 minutes around, I think it was the 35th minute or so, uh, Vancouver did a substitution where they brought off the young man, um, Nathaniel St. Louis, who didn't really have the best of starts in that opening match. He was a bit like a, a deer in headlights for the opening 30. And they brought on Nima, who had started the previous two games. And afterwards, in the press conference, a few of the reporters were curious about what happened. Why did Nima not start? And why did he come on after 35 minutes? And it turns out that it was because Nima was one minute late to the team meeting. And that was enough for Afshin Gottby to not start him. Here is Afshin Gottby talking about the situation, why he brought him on after 35 minutes and this president that he wanted to, to set forth with the club after that one minute tardiness from Nima. Here it is. Nima number eight uh, was uh, was earmarked to start. And as I shared before, he missed a meeting uh, one minute late, but one minute for me is not acceptable. So uh, I felt that it's important for me to uh, make a statement for our club and uh, for our team. And there's a certain culture, discipline, and professionalism that I expect. And and it wasn't a, a care. It was almost he the elevator. I think got stopped or something happened. But still, for me, is unacceptable. So uh, so I thought for St. Louis starting in that game would be it's a great opportunity to give him a chance. As a young player, he's been playing very well for us. Uh, and then, of course, it didn't go well. Uh, so I had to make the change. And I believe that you could wait till halftime. But on a game like this, I felt that if I waited till halftime, make the change, it would have been too late. And the second half would have been more difficult. And uh, I felt by making that change, now maybe I can uh, get a goal before the half and tie the game. And it happened. Uh, so it, it paid off. So, uh, not, it doesn't always pay off, but this time it did. 
So yeah, Afshin Gopi there talking about the standards that he wants to set at uh, Vancouver Football Club. You know, one minute is may seem to uh, to some people that's a bit harsh, but you know, he clearly is a strict manager. He wants to make sure that all of his players are there on time or early. And uh, it, it was a bit funny that he wanted to set that precedent, but then he realized, oh wait, I actually really need you. <laughs> so yeah. he made the change uh, early on before halftime before things could sort of get away with them. Um, but what did you make of Vancouver FC once Nima got into that midfield? Once, you know, now we had the more regular starting 11 because it seemed from his inclusion, Vancouver started to grow back into the game and threaten Halifax. Yeah, I can imagine uh, Gottby sat there watching St. Louis, how it, how this change hasn't really worked and just being infuriated because he's got to set a precedent. It's a new team, a whole new club. So they've got to set these boundaries early. But on the pitch, it hasn't worked out. And that change bringing in Nima brought them back to it's, it's slightly more uh, and Nima's a slightly more defensive orientated defender in comparison, uh, midfielder, sorry, in comparison with St. Louis. And it gave them that three in the middle that really did change the game uh, and it gave them that sort of numerical advantage in the middle over those two Halifax Wanderers central midfielders. Um, it got Bitar and Sandoval moving a little bit more, um, finding dips rather than, uh, rather than what they were doing at that point in, in conjunction with St. Louis. So it put them back to this Christmas tree formation that Vancouver sides like um, at the moment. And it just made them a little bit more resilient. And it also gave them the chance to get forward a bit better as Caden Chung wasn't so central he was sort of played at that right side of the midfield in the in the middle so he was able to get out to the right in possession a little bit more and um, which helps them attack as um the width the fullbacks are so important in that system it, to provide width when they've got the two attacking midfielders behind the striker and the three central midfielders and they don't have the attacking threat with Bakare. um in comparison to how good he is defensively so getting the opportunities to move players wider and getting one of those central midfielders finding spaces in slightly wider areas really did change everything for them and it really put Halifax under a lot more pressure yeah I think definitely the way that um, they adapted once Nima came in and they started to have a bit more fluidity in the attack. I think the player that benefited the most from that was Gael Sandoval. You know, you can see that he's a special player. You know, his resume says it all. His CV in, in Mexico shows that he has the quality and the ability. But it felt like we hadn't really seen that across the first couple of games. And this was the first game where you really started to see what he can bring. He seems to be very, very good out wide and challenging the defenders, trying to get by them. And his service was really, really tidy. He had a few opportunities to set up some players. He opened, he he was the one that crossed to open up the scoring to Sean Hundle, a picture-perfect cross that Sean really just had to tap in. He barely mm -hmm. flicked it on and it went in. So I feel like, yeah, Sandoval, we're starting to finally see uh, what he can bring as probably one of the most high profile signings of the season. Um, but I also wanted to point out one player that I think is being sort of, he's gone under the radar, but I think he's been so, so, so good for Vancouver. And that is Elliot Simmons, the midfielder, English midfielder who used to play for Cavalry has come in and Afshin called him the coach's player. The one that isn't flashy, doesn't try to do too many risks, but it's very well drilled. He's the one that sets the pace. He's the one that keeps the team going. He passes 
between the lines. He switches the, uh, the flanks whenever they need to. I think he, you know, he's one of those players that you look at and you don't really see what he does. But once you start to pay attention, you can see how integral he is to that team. So I feel like they have they've had a very, very good recruitment there and bringing Elliot Simmons in. But um, yeah, overall, I think Vancouver played quite well. They were just struggling to finish their chances. There was that one chance uh, with uh, Pele Martinez where it was it was crying out for that goal in <laughs> yeah. front of him. And he just volleyed it so high and over you. It was just criminal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a more, but, it was a first half to forget for Martinez. Early. Yeah, definitely. No, it was. It was. Yeah, he's going to want to put that one away quickly. Um, but uh, for Halifax, they also had um, a player kind of show up for them, and that was their new signing, the new number nine, Teo Colom. And he was a player that I was actually very excited about when he um, came into the league because I've seen a little bit of his th- of his play before, and he seemed like a very very nifty number nine he was very good at moving around and finding space and just kind of he's a little bit of a poacher in that way and what do you think about his uh performance and especially in that opening goal that might be down more to a Vancouver blunder but you still got to put him away yeah I mean like you say the Vancouver defense stopped but the way um Colomb was playing he's such a like quite a stocky player muscly player I think he would have held off the um he got in a good turn of pace to get into that position in the first place and I think he's got the strength to be able to hold off a player and get a shot away um and I think he's exactly what they need in this system with so many of these players um Ferrin Fernandez Daniels Ramprasat I mean they've got so many who move so well and they find space really well and they link up play fantastically going into the final third all the way across it but having Colom, who's just going to be like, right, the box is mine. I'm going to win the box. That's going to be my area. And I'm going to make it hell for the defenders. Uh, and that's exactly what the, this this team needs. And, the, and he's he may not be the, the tallest, but he's so he's so physical, so quick um, over short, uh, like short acceleration and finding that space. I think he's going to be able to compete with the bigger players. He's got a decent leap on him as well, it seems. So he can compete with if crosses come into the box so he's got the he's got the all rounds like sort of technical abilities that um you think Patrice Geyser's has probably ticked off saying right I need this this and this from my center forward and he's got them so it'll be interesting to see how if he can continue this um and how well he can he can progress because he's definitely in this team yeah very much so and I think you know once uh Patrice Geyser has his team sort of playing in a way that is more sustainable across the 90, both mm. in attack and in defense. He's going to be a very, very lethal striker for them. But um, hopefully that happens for them sooner rather than later um, yeah. as they look for their first win. But now we're going to move on to our third match, which is probably, I'll be honest, one of the probably the least exciting <laughs> of the matches uh, was uh, Atletico Ottawa versus York United finished 1-0 for York thanks to a wonderful free kick goal by Mobaba, I believe. <laughs> Definitely what, probably the, the most exciting part of the whole match was that set piece. Um, but what did you make of uh, the game, especially what did you make of Ottawa? It seems like they're struggling to show what they were about last season again, and, and they're not kicking off as you thought they would um, under Carlos Gonzalez. Yeah, it's not been... 
particularly pretty. Um, they seem to um, they seem to be working hard at trying to create these overloads that wide, um, building sort of att like attacks to playing crosses um, from wide areas. Their fullbacks, or if they're using wingbacks, uh, switched in this game from a back three to a back four, and they, they were doing things to try and win those wide areas. But throughout the game, the uh, sorter up front was just isolated. There's no uh, every time a, a cross came in, it was him against three defenders, and he was he wasn't going to win. Uh, he wasn't going to win them. Uh, they had a little bit towards the end with this change of play. I think it's Assi um, got in and had a good chance, but he, as uh, adding that extra man running in the box, but they just didn't have it um, throughout so much of this game. Oli Bassett coming back was so deep throughout this match he was picking up the ball that so often he was picking up the ball in the middle third and he was never really being given the ball to like to receive and turn and do something threatening in the final third it was all so deep and it was all switches of play um and yeah they just i i felt york are one of those sides who they've shot themselves in the foot defensively quite a few times already this season and you've got to put them under pressure they've so much going on in this club right now like if they if you just get if you got into them from the start as the home team they could you you could probably guess that they're going to have some difficulties in their organization and things like that but Ottawa gave them the opportunity to sort of settle into the game and like you say a great goal but it was always the winner was always going to come from a set piece I think from watching this game yeah, definitely. It was it was a game where tightly contested is the nicest way you could probably put it. Um, but you know, I think it it's huge for York United. I think especially mm -hmm. given the the all of the background noise that's how going on with the club, with you know ownership being transitioned and now t you know CPL technically owning it or, or as CSB, and um, I think in a team that is in a bit of turmoil uh in the front office it's nice to have these little moments where you can be lifted and to push you on to focus on what's happening on the pitch and mm. not off the pitch and i think especially for mobabuli i mean he had a nightmare uh start last week against vancouver when he gave sean hundle he put it on a plate said here you go buddy yeah. take the first goal for your <laughs> club history it's all yours um but I think, yeah, he came back um, stronger from it. I think he bounced back really well. And he, he you can tell he's one of York's best players, just the way that he is. He's so, so good on the ball, the way that he, from striker to midfield, he can just dictate play very well. And yeah, that set piece was just perfection. The way that it would curled in. Oh, yeah. I watched it like seven <laughs> times after. As soon as it went in, just going on Twitter, just seeing that on loop. Um, but yeah, well, I think York were actually really good in defense. And like you said, they they when you put them under pressure, they tend to crumble. But I guess because Ottawa did put so much pressure on, they started mm -hmm. to really get into it. And I was especially um, impressed by Jonathan Grant. Um, you know, he came in after leaving Forge and he mostly played as a, a right back for Forge, but he because of some personnel issues, he's playing center back for them. And I think he actually had a, a really, really solid game. He was very physical, any sort of threats he was managing to snuff out by just getting there, pushing the player aside, getting the ball cleanly and continuing play. I thought it, I, he was excellent for them in the midfield. And um, yeah, Matthew Baldissimo in the midfield, uh, or in the defense, sorry. And Matthew Baldissimo, 
uh, in the midfield also had a very, very tidy game. The way that he he was just connecting the play and his defend and excelling in his defensive duties, I think helped York see out that game. But um yeah, overall I think um especially that second half, it was just it was just a slog uh mm. of a match. Um I don't really have much else to talk about no, I mean, in, I, in that match, I, unless you have anything else you want to add. No, I guess like I mean you obviously mentioned there Baldissimo coming in. I think I think we've realized I mean, we know that Mobabuli isn't a uh, defensive midfielder. Get him higher up the pitch and you get the best out of him. And that's helped uh, Jonathan Grant. This will be a huge bonus. Obviously, he's got an own goal to his name already this season. Um he's adapting to this center midfield center back role within York and getting that chance to be put under some pressure, but not anywhere near as much as he probably would have expected is a great bit of sort of confidence boost for this defense like um defensively that will help them going into their going into their next games and i'm still a little bit curious as to see uh, uh brian white um starting over uh, de rosario so frequently not seeing too much of him so far this season but it'll be interesting to see if get involved in matches um going forward yeah, uh, it is a little bit odd to see not uh, Ozaze de Rosario starting, especially with the season that he had before. Exactly, but he's still a young player. He still has a, you know, a lot of legs in him. I'm sure they're trying to make sure that he doesn't get any injuries or stuff like that after a pretty heavy season. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we start to see a little bit more of him going forward because I think York need that, and because yeah. he is he is lethal in the box. Uh, but with that being said, we're now going to move on to the fourth and final match of this CPL weekend, which was uh, Cavalry against Valor, another home opener for um, Cavalry. And uh, we have uh, another draw. It seems like the opening games are just mostly draws, uh, but I guess you get that uh, at the beginning <laughs> of the season. What did you make of this uh, match between Cavalry and Valor? Oh, it was really interesting. Um, I quite, I mean, Valor did, Valor did so well with the injuries they're facing, the changes they were forced into throughout this game and adapting to how they were playing. And it really made it difficult for Cavalry, who themselves did, like, they rose to it at times. At times they fell and Valor, uh, Valor managed to get into the game and make difficult chances. But when you've got players like Ali Moussi, uh, they 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 were able to create things. And I thought at the end of the day, a draw was a rightful decision. Uh, sorry, a rightful outcome from the from what we saw um, throughout that ninety minutes. Which I think usually Cavalry would have probably expected. Okay, well, this is a game where we can we've got three points. Let's go out and just make sure of it. But Valor uh, really gave them a lot of questions. Yeah, I think Valor surprised a lot of people because, as you said, they're going through. Uh, a lot of injuries right now. They only had five subs on the bench, uh, which shows really how paper thin their squad is right now yeah. with so many key players out. But I think that, that they actually responded uh, really well uh, after uh, going down uh, to Cavalry. I think that um, the defense was solid once it kind of solidified after their opening sort of 20 or 50 minutes uh and i think you know what a big part of that was their new signing uh clyde isella who uh, used to play for forge and then uh went into league one for a little bit they brought him in literally i think a day and a half before the game 
And uh, I read that in an article uh, on his signing, he said, I can play with for you in six hours if you need me. Like I'm ready in six hours. <laughs> and uh, and it showed, it showed, you know, he actually backed it up. He was really good defensively. He helped organize the defense. He fit seamlessly. Um, he uh, was a really good presence. He dealt with any danger. I think it was a very, very good tidy performance from him. And considering, you know, how new he is to his team, I don't know, even know if he knows probably the names of all of the players, definitely not yeah. the players on the, on the, on the, uh, on the medical bench, but uh, yeah, he had a great defensive display and they fought back really, really well. I think um, in the second half, they, I think, honestly, if you were basing it just in the second half alone, they might've, deserved an upset win because of it uh because of how they played um i think uh yeah it was it was a very impressive showing from valors especially to fight back after going one nil down um one player i do do think that is exceptional but was a little bit i guess maybe naive in this game was nyangabire yeah. um he is a player that he can take on anyone he can pretty much beat anyone he's super super uh, technically skilled but it felt like he was just like running blindly into um, channels where the ball wasn't really going that way or the play wasn't really progressing that way and it felt like yeah you can pull away a defender but if it's not if the play isn't going that way then you're not really creating space so it felt like he wasn't doing too much what did you think about his performance of the match especially given how impressive he was in the first two matches yeah, it's like you say, it was just frustrating. There's times where you see him and he's just making the wrong decision. He, He's he's running in directions and into sort of dead ends, like you say, um, just because he thinks I've got the ball, I'm going to beat this man. There was times um, he picked it up just uh, in the middle, uh, just a little way outside the box, and he decided to try and run at the entire defence, whereas you had Jared Joa um, coming in from the right-hand side with just one little pass across, which was a very clear open passing lane. And he had a shot at goal, but he just chose not to make that pass and carried on running and just got easily gobbled up by sort of three defenders because he just ran into this space that was congested. And it, it was just really frustrating to see. But when he was play, when he was doing making good decisions and they'd switch because of the changes they had to make, they sort of went into a 4-4-2, but it turned into a sort of a 4-2-4 when they were in possession and attacking. And when he was getting down one wing, Azure down the other and... Uh, Williams sort of supporting Novak as much as he could. They really did look quite dangerous and managed to get in a few uh, good crosses. Azure especially got in a cross uh, when it was one all that Novak just couldn't quite get his um, uh, good connection on. It was a great low cross um, just outside the six-yard box for Novak running in. Couldn't make the connection, but they, they had these opportunities. And having that mix of Nyongabare looking to take players on, beat players, cut inside, move. And then Jared Ojoa, who's just full on pace down one side gave him quite a, quite a nice mix I thought which I think they, they, they'll take a lot of um a lot of positive thoughts on going into the next match with them yeah yeah and I think you know the the once it was one all they start to attack a lot more and have a lot more um space and creativity once they went like you said in, into that 4-2-4 but I think we have to talk about that cavalry opening goal because what a run by Ali Musi he yeah sprinted down that right side left two of the the defenders on toast just in his wake and just did a wonderful just cross perfectly 
for Meyer Bevan just happened. And yeah, it was, it was the, that's the quality that um, a player uh, can like uh, Musa can bring. Um, what do you think about uh, the goal and, and uh, the attack from Calvary? Yeah, I mean, it's for a young player learning left back, uh, De Brian to go up against Musa. Uh, Musa in this game was, yeah, really tough, really tough for him. He really worked out the young player and he did, he did well at times, but Musa just showed how much quality he got and to be able to get into those positions. He really tested Yesley as well at one point, a great um, a great save from him after uh, Musi cut inside onto his left and got shot away. Looks incredibly dangerous throughout, um, a really, really good player. And they they also have that opportunity of having Mason with Bevan uh, as sort of Bevan as that striker, Mason moving around. Mason's actually joining him. Bevan's one of these few lone strikers who has a little bit of help. And that's that's attracting more defenders into the middle. So it's it's giving Moosey the chance to isolate players and that gives him the chance to just run at them and have a great time. He seems to enjoy each, each match he's playing and he's really getting a lot of um a lot of joy on that on that right wing cutting into the left. It's it's gonna be vital for them to keep keep him having those opportunities to isolate defenders if they're gonna be able to push and compete um throughout this season. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I really like about the cavalry attack is the way that they press. They they mm. press just especially at the beginning. They just press and press and press the defense, and they pressed uh, Yesley. And you know Yesley, he's a good shot stopper as we could see the Ali Musi chance. But he in possession, he gets so nervous. Any little amount of pressure, and he just I think two, three, maybe even four times under pressure, he tried to kick it out, and he kicked it out into touch and. Uh, and I, it, it, that's something obviously that um, Beller have to work with. But it, yeah. you know, when you have so many injury troubles, it, it's hard to kind of get that whole philosophy of you know playing, trying to play under pressure through your whole club. Um, but I think yeah, for for what it, for what the performance was with what resources Veller had, I think they did very admirably. One player that I was also very impressed with uh, was Diego Gutierrez uh, mm. in the middle. I think he was very sneakily solid. Um, he, I think, just defensively as that six, he's one of the best kind of destroy and progress midfielders uh, in the league. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed how he went about both in the defense and the attack. How he connected the defense to the attack, and I think he did exceptionally well. Um, but yeah, is there any uh, other points you wanted to talk about this game before we move on to our highlight of the week? Uh, yeah, I just want to highlight what you're saying there about Gutierrez. After that, obviously things changed. They they were four three three, but the injury to Pianelli at the back, uh, Campbell had to drop into defence, so they had to change to a two midfield. And like you say, he did so well alongside Sanchez. They're blocking up play, breaking things down, but his his quality on the ball was fantastic as well. And when you've got Kian Williams, Novak moving around so much, you've got the pace on the wings. It did make them really dangerous, and I've, I I I think they've really have done well out of this the sort of adversity of all these uh, injuries that they're going through at the moment it's you got to it says a lot for the coach i think he's he's really um trying to turn things around after crashing out of the champion uh, canadian championships to a sort of lower league opposition and um they've got a lot of yeah needed to turn, they needed to turn things around and while they didn't get the win they got a good performance out of it and i think they'll take a lot of credit from that yeah definitely Definitely. Uh, and with that, that rounds up uh, all of the action from uh, this week's CPL. 
Um, now we're going to move on to our highlight of the week, uh, where myself and Mike choose one moment, player, situation from the week, and um, talk a little bit more about it, about why it was so exceptional, or maybe why it was so poor or funny. <laughs> um, for me, it's an easy choice. It's obviously Mobabuli's free kick goal. I mean, just it was the spark that the game needed after maybe a, a slow start and then a very stagnant second half. It was just a moment of pure class from him. And yeah, I mean, as, after the game he had last week, he needed that just something to pick him up because he's an exceptional player. And the technique on it, the curl, the way that it beat the keeper, it was just a, a stunning goal overall, probably the goal of the week. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to see more of that that babuli brilliance uh, in the weeks to come. Um, but Mike, what was your highlight of the week? Uh, well, I um, I felt that the uh, uh, Novak shoving Klomp in the back out of pure frustration really highlighted um, the uh, frustration centre forwards are having in the CPL to start this season. Lone strikers are running around, putting in the so little rewards at sometimes, and it just the fact Klomp got up and uh, laughed about it makes it <laughs> makes it um, acceptable, I guess, but. You could see how frustrated he was um, not getting any sort of support and a long ball forward. And you can imagine that players like Eastland Garo, Bradley Wright and everyone else are probably thinking, yeah, no, I understand why you did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's something that uh, I think multiple coaches are going to have to try to figure out <laughs> as the weeks go on. But, you know, now that we have this week done, we're going into the next week. Um, hopefully we see some games open up a bit more, a bit of more high scoring games, but, uh, for now that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening to our very first episode of coast to coast FC. Make sure to follow us once again on Twitter so that you can give us your thoughts on each of these week's episodes. And Hey, if you have any interesting facts, stats, or questions about this week's or next week's games, tweet them at us and we'll respond, give you a shout out and give us a bit more content to talk about but until next time i'm felipe vallejo and i'm mike rice and this has been coast to coast fc signing out <laughs>